started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for this time together. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for community. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, speak through me. Open my eyes to see your words. Be with my friends and open their eyes and ears to hear it as well. Lord, let us be blessed by it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So we're in Wednesday Night Bible Study, and we are studying Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So for those of you who didn't bring a Bible, that's cool. I got a printout for you. So that's that second page is Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 through 30. So that's what we're covering tonight. If you've got an e-Bible, like on your phone or tablet, that's cool. You might be even faster than your friends with tabs. And if you have a paper Bible, you're kind of my peeps, so I'm so glad you're here. Um, So let's read. We're going to talk from verse 21 through 30. And I read from the ESV. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, or whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you pay the last penny. And then you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose your, one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. The word of the Lord. Oh, Snap. Heavy stuff, yes? There's some serious language we have going on here. And this, for some of us, might change the way we view our Christian life. And that is actually why at the top of that first page that you received that has the kind of uh, the questions on it, I titled this section, Be Killing Sin. Be killing sin. So it comes from a quote from a gentleman named John Owen. He was a theologian in the 1600s. And one of his phrases says, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that passage actually comes from, quoted beneath, comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 13. It says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if if by the Spirit... Put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? And this is truly what I believe in in essence, if you wanted to sum up the next 
handful of verses tonight and next week that we're going to, or yeah, next week we're going to cover is what is sin? What is the Christian life really about and how are we truly going to walk in the way of Christ? And, and John Owen, amongst many others, and Paul and pastors through the century have wanted to be clear of what sin was. Now, if you weren't here last week, a quick recap was we were talking about the law and the prophets, capital L, law. And in that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, so the religious leaders of the Jewish uh, people, had begun to make extra rules, called the Talmud, to how to interpret the law. And that what they had done is they had drifted away from the truth that God had established. So in this, what Jesus is beginning to do is he's trying to present to the hearers, not just the rectification of what the false teachers, the old teachers had done, but try to set a new path, a new way of living, right? Because I believe in here, all of us, we would agree that murder is wrong, yes? Yes, we all agree that killing someone is wrong. Now, in the Old Testament, there was two ways to look at murder. There was premeditated murder, so where you would lie and wait for someone who had done something against you, had hatred in your heart, and you went and attacked them premeditated, right? And then there would be manslaughter, unintentional murder. And actually, in Deuteronomy, I think that's Deuteronomy 5. No, Deuteronomy 19, if you want to flip your Bibles to the Old Testament real quick, to Deuteronomy 19. I'm going to try not to make you turn too many pages, but that's, I did give everyone the references at the bottom of the question sheet. So if you've, I say something, it's all, I try to make this as easy as possible. The references are on the bottom, but I do encourage you to read it. So Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, verse four, and it says, this is the provision for a manslayer who by fleeing from there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, right? And, and he even, God even gives an example. As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and he, his hand swings the axe to cut a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor and he dies, he may flee to another city. Right, so, so this is manslaughter, and, and we don't even practice this. So if the idea is if there was an accident, and, and you were out working, maybe you had a ladder, or maybe he was on the roof, and, and any long list of other things, and where your neighbor died unintentionally, and it was clearly an accident, you actually had the ability to flee to a sanctuary city where they could not come and get you and bring you back. But it had to be unintentional, right? As opposed to, you read verse 6, right? Lest the avenger of the blood and hatred, hate, hot anger, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die since he had, hated his, had not hated his neighbor in the past. But he, he keeps going in that section where he even says, but if someone has had hatred and lied in ambush for his neighbor, that that was be considered murder. And so there was, God made a clear separation between what real murder was. And actually, I think that in that language, you can begin to see that manslaughter was without hatred in your heart. And that's even where Jesus goes, 
Verse 22, it says, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Meaning, if you had hatred, if what Jesus is saying, if you had hatred against your neighbor or your brother or your sister, or your cousin or someone in the market, they could accuse you of hatred and take you to the council and you could be sentenced just because you had hatred against someone. That's how serious God takes hatred and anger. So some of us, as my old youth pastor used to say, we need a checkup from the neck up. Because I think sometimes we think, well, I can just get angry and it's okay. I didn't hurt anyone. I just was angry and I punched, punched the door or, or honked the horn real loud. But Jesus really is trying to challenge the condition of our heart. So if you want to turn with me to, well, hold on. Anger is something that I think we deal with as human beings. So I, I want to say this first. Uh, if you get angry, welcome to the human race. Okay? I, I, I get angry. Okay? See? Confession in church. Pastor leads. Everyone follows. Right? So who gets angry? Raise your hand. Awesome. Thank you for being honest. That's, that's our human nature. But it's what we do with our anger that really matters. I truly believe in righteous indignation. That's a fancy way of saying being angry at something that God's angry at. Like, I think God gets angry at abortions. I think God gets angry at genocide. I think God gets angry when the poor are neglected. I think those are truly things that bother God's heart when when the church is not doing its job. And so when injustices occur, I think we as Christians should be angry, but not sin in our anger. But this here, Jesus is clear, trying to make it very clear that the, that riling anger in our hearts is not what he wants. And that actually saddens God's heart. Okay, carrying forward. If you see that in verse 22... Depending on your translation, if you have something like the NIV or maybe even the New King James, you might see the word raka, R-A-C-A. Who, who has that in their Bibles? Okay, that word is not a nice word. It, it's probably parallel to call someone a word we do not use anymore because it's very inappropriate, but I got to say it just so it's clear, is calling someone retarded. Okay? That's what it means by using an insult against someone. That means you're literally speaking against the person themselves in a very strong way. So, so in, in English, in my ESV, it says insult, but that word doesn't really do it justice because if I didn't like someone's shirt, I'd say, oh, your shirt's ugly. That could be considered an insult. But no, this is a deeper level of, oh, you just, you're just so bad word. Right? You got it? Don't do that. That angers God's heart. Don't do that. Then it says, whoever says you fool. Now that word literally means stupid. So don't call someone stupid or you are liable to hell. Some of us need to change our vocabulary tonight. 
And this is a moment of reconciliation, so check your vocabulary and, and we can move forward. Here we go. Turn with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29. Now I'm going to challenge your language even more. You ready? No, probably not. Romans or Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it is fit, fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. The Bible is written in a way that we see things uh, for emphasis. Paul sandwiched, do not let uncorrupting, let no corrupting talk come from forth of your mouth, and let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor sandwiched, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You see it? So if you want to grieve God, grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, let corrupting speech come out of your mouth. Let anger, bitterness, wrath, and clamor, and slander come out of your mouth. Let malice reign in your heart. If you want God to be sad because of the way you're living, do verse 29 and 31. That's the proof to the text. That's, that's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit, is to walk, to live in a manner which is full of corrupt talk, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And he says, be kind to one another. This is how you rejoice or how you uplift the Holy Spirit. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Skip down a couple of verses into chapter 5. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children. Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Heavy stuff. Now, God has given us grace. God has given us the Holy Spirit which enables us to change the way we talk. Now, my challenge to you right now is where did you learn the words? Because the little children in the back don't grow up knowing bad words, correct? So where did they learn them? Television, music, literature, their parents, their peer groups. The, the foul language has to be taught. None of us woke up breathing foul language. It was something that we were taught and we found that it was acceptable or was cool or something to get attention. Yes? 
but it's not of God. So brothers and sisters, if that is your way of talking, check it. Because none of us want to grieve the Holy Spirit. But because of the Holy Spirit, you have the power and the ability not to use it. So we can begin to change and live as imitators of God. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. So after Ephesians comes Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then Hebrews, and then you have James. Something like that. I think I got it right. James chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. James chapter 3. And everyone, all these references are written down, so you can look them up later. It says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. You can't do it on your own. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in his likeness. That's why it's wrong to curse people. Because you're not just cursing another human being, you're cursing God. And that is a dangerous path to walk. For the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same, from the same op- opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce fr- figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. So this is where it comes to a check of our hearts. We have to, just as we said before, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if this is what's flowing out of you, I pray that you talk to Jesus tonight and say, Lord, this is what's coming out. Change it. I want to change. And he'll tell you how to change. He'll tell you what in your life needs to change or be eliminated. And, and, and being a Christian isn't always easy. I love Jimmy Buffett. But I found that it was influencing me in a very negative way. So, goodbye, son of a son of a sailor. It, it was hard, but now I've filled it with something better. Because I get to worship Jesus all the time. And that's so much better. So here, here's where we get really personal. And I want to share a story. So we just talked about not being angry, watching our tongue. And now there's a moment where it says the importance of being reconciled. Uh, I personally have been a Christian for quite some time in my life, and I've had the great honor of being a pastor for over four years. But there was a moment that I woke up a handful of days ago and realized that I was jealous of another person. And that jealousy led to a deep-rooted bitterness and critical spirit that I had, so that every time I saw this person or listened to this person, I couldn't. It was just this filter that everything about this person was negative. And about a month and a half ago, I woke up, I guess it was a nap or something, and I woke up and I sat on the edge of my bed and I said, God, just be with me. And all of a sudden, he just drops his word in my stomach and says, you're jealous. I went, great. 
So I get up and come out of the room and say, hey, honey, I'm struggling with a spirit of jealousy. And she goes, what are you going to do about it? I go, I don't know. <laughs> God worked a plan out over the next five weeks where between meeting with my mentoring pastor, my staff, and others, I got to the point where yesterday morning I got to actually sit down with Pastor Matt and tell him that I was sorry for the spirit that I had against him. And it was one of the coolest moments that I've had over the summer where God has just freed me from this critical spirit and bitterness. And I know you look at me and you go, no, there's no way Pastor Josh is like that. He's too good and holy. No, I am a mortal man, succumbed to many things. But in that moment and over the last week, my wife will tell you on how my spirit has just been lifted because I'm not walking around with this bitterness anymore. It's gone. And, and now I feel I'm, I'm just so excited for what God's going to do next because I was willing to not just acknowledge that I had it, but I was willing to do something about it. And I'll tell you, leading so crazy that Sunday he preaches a message against fear and faith. And here I'm getting ready to go sit in his office on Tuesday and I'm here now preaching this to you tonight about the importance of reconciliation. You can't make this up. I did not plan this. This is how God orchestrates your life if you allow it to walk in his power. So I challenge you right now, be reconciled. Offer a sincere apology. Do not say, I'm sorry because your feelings got hurt. Don't say, I'm sorry, but you did this to me. Don't say, I'm sorry, and not actually mean it. But be sincere. Say, I'm sorry I did blank. This hurt me when you did this. Be honest of why, why you're acting this way. But work on that reconciliation, and through God's grace, do your best not to go back there. And what I'll tell you right now is that in this spirit, in the season that I'm in, I've found it far easier to recognize other areas where I've been hurt and where I need to address. And I'm going to address them a lot faster than I did this last go around. Because there's so much freedom that comes from reconciliation to offer that sincere apology, to hear it received back. Now, I'll give you that not every person you're going to go be reconciled with will want to be reconciled. But you have to, you have to be willing to forgive and before you come to God and with your, with your offerings. Mm. So there's that. Okay. You can clap. That's, thank you. Now it's going to get really uncomfortable. Verse 27, you have heard it said. Now, I didn't touch on this at the beginning, but Jesus actually says this six more times. He, he says it six full times because there's, he, he knows that the people have been hearing, do this, this is what it means. And Jesus is saying, you've heard it been said, but I say to you is his response. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, verse 28, to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, the heart, just like anger. Anger comes from the heart. It comes from something. It could come from unforgiveness. 
It could come from a hurt someone has done against you. It could come from someone has said something, they've uh, demeaned your character, they've attacked you, or something of that nature. But in the same way, lust comes in our flesh. Now, we, we know about desire. I believe all of us understand what it means to have a physical yearning. Yes? Yes. Okay. That is part of how God made us. God made uh, a husband and a wife to be the place where all the physical enjoyment is made satisfied and made whole. And, and in, in this world, it's not any easier. I mean, we're, we're in a world where things, I mean, Jesus didn't have to worry about Victoria's Secrets or Abercrombie and Fitch or Calvin Klein. Let's be honest. No one walking around in 21st century, first century Israel had such concerns. But today, it's, we have swung the bat, right? So we had this sexual revolution in the 60s, and now we live where everyone just wants to present themselves. And I'm not about presenting yourself in a bad way. Because this also goes true for women, too. This is not just a man's message. This is a human being message. We all struggle with lust and desire. But are we fueling it? Or are we really feeding it? Or are we doing things to starve it? So if you want to turn with me uh, real quick to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. No, sorry. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So in the reference that I wrote on your sheet is wrong, so please fix that. It's 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15 and through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all flesh is in the world. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So depending on your translation, some of you, if you have like the NIV and probably the New King James, you, instead of desires, you have lust. Yes? All right, good. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what is the desires of the flesh? It's the desire to be physically satisfied. It's when we thirsty, we drink. When we hungry, we eat. And everything else that proceeds forward from that. It's that no one in here likes pain, correct? No, no one's going, ooh, just break my leg, Pastor Josh. That'd be so much fun. Correct? Right? That's because no one likes pain. It's just not in us. We avoid pain, right? If it's too hot, we, we back away from the furnace. If it's too cold, we put on a sweater. Right? And so our physical desires are to be comforted. And the desires of the eyes. It's the, the bigger house, the nicer car, the bigger boat, the prettier wife, the more handsome husband, the, the well-behaved children. Right? The better job, the, the more cash in the bank account. The desires of the eyes. And then the pride of life, status, popularity, and fame. All the things. Jesus said it this way. What does it profit a man to, to gain the whole world? but to forfeit his soul, right? Well, nothing, absolutely nothing, but that's what the world offers us. 
And verse 17 says, And the world is passing away with all its, along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And that's why we're here. Right? I, I just don't want to just make this about the physical desires that we face, but the, the whole body of ourselves that we are sh- struggling with. I mean, I mean, this is part of the reason why I think I was jealous. It was because I saw what Pastor Matt had and I wanted it. Instead of being resting in what God had given me already. Does that make sense? So, so, so we're none, none of us are immune, but we all have to walk through this. And this is something real, and it's been 2,000 years. It's probably been longer than that of human history that we've been struggling with these issues. So Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, imagine if your job was physical labor. Now, some of you in this room do physical labor, but just imagine if the only real possibilities in the first century was either to be a farmer, carpenter, fisherman. It was physical labor. So imagine, and for my wife is left-handed, so I'm not picking fun of myself, Paul, but I love her very much. But in the first century, everyone, most people were right-handed. That was your primary hand. So imagine if this was your primary building hand, hammer swinging hand, painting hand, fishing hand, and everything else. Imagine losing it. Imagine the livelihood that you would lose, the amount of life you would lose to lose the one hand you do everything with. Does that make sense? But Jesus is so serious about your eternal security that he's willing to say, you are, it's better for you to suffer on earth with no right hand or no right eye than to have both and go to hell. So how do we make those provisions? Because no one in here at all am I telling you to pluck out your eyes or cut off your hands, okay? That's not the point. Okay, we clear. Don't go home and say, Pastor Josh said it's better that I be blind than go to hell. So I'm plucking out. No, 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 no. Okay? Romans chapter 13. This might be one of my favorite Bible verses in this respect. Romans chapter 13. This is a larger answer to, Paul says it better. Well, Jesus said it best, but Paul helps us not, not cut off our own hands. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or in any other commandment are summed up in these words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Those love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us than now than when we first believed. Right? This is our motivation to live the Christian life, is that salvation's coming. Christ is coming back. It says, Night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or in sexual immorality or sensualities, not in quarreling or jealousy. Here it is, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All right, any, any Boy Scouts in the room? Any former military? Any Girl Scouts in the room? A couple of us? Okay. So we understand that when you make provisions to go on a camping trip, you would get everything you need, you'd pack it, and you'd take it with you, yes? Right? So I had a raincoat and a flashlight and a fire starter and a tent and a sleeping bag and a pillow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In the same way, we make provisions for sin. We go to places, right? If, you're, if your greatest temptation is alcohol and you keep going to a bar, stop. Right? If your struggle is uh, drugs and you have friends that are dealers, uh, you might want to change your friends. If, you're, if your struggle is lust and you keep going to Hooters, change the restaurant. But if you keep going, I'm going to go there because I'm strong, because I got Jesus, you are not very smart. You are, not, you, you are making provisions for sin. You, you are allowing yourself to walk into the fire on purpose. That's like falling, catching a falling knife. Don't do that. So then put on Jesus. What does that mean? It, it literally means to wear Jesus like a cloak. The, word, the Greek word here for put on is the same way we all got dressed. We put a shirt on. In verse 12, he says, we, we put off the darkness and we put on an armor of light. We, we can do what Paul then later says in Ephesians chapter 6 and put on the whole armor of God. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate plate of righteousness. I never liked plate, right? Anyways, the belt of truth, the sword, the word of God, the shield of faith. There is some way that we dress ourselves on a daily basis, and my son's running around the back. And so every night before at bedtime, we pray over him and his sister, the armor of God. Because we know that in this world there's darkness and there's principalities and we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And, and, and we need to be spiritually ready for warfare. L ladies and gentlemen, we are not on a leisure cruise. We are on a battleship. And we need to be battle ready. And too often we are not. We are asleep at the wheel. We think we're asleep, you know, drinking our mojitos and walking around in our slippers thinking it's pool time. No it's wartime. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion, a prowling lion looking to see who he can devour. Do not be asleep. Awake. Ready yourselves. Put on the armor of God. And close with this. Galatians chapter 5. I won't read the whole thing, but Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25 and um, starts with 16 it says but I say to you walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh in verse 25 it says if you live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit back to my military friends my veterans we understand what cadence is yes Left, left, 
Left, right, left. And I, I'm not very good at it, so I'm not, I'm not trying to mock anyone. I'm just trying to give an example. There is a way that God walks. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he talks. And he tells us when to move and when to stop. When to turn right and when to turn left. But it takes a lot of time to learn his voice and to learn his cadence. But I promise you that when you learn it, you'll realize how quickly when you get out of step, because it's all of a sudden awkward. You're going, oh, wait, I just stepped in it. Oh, oh God, help me right now. And then he gets you back in step. And, and, and it's the, this is the true prevention to walk with God and not gratify the desires of the flesh the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what Jesus really is asking for. He really wants us, uh, any, my, my older Christians might remember uh, the song In the Garden. And he walks with me and he talks with me. Tells me. No, I'm just thinking if anyone else knows the song, it's just me. It's, it's a beautiful song of Ed and, and um, it just walking with God. And talking with him. And it's just making it a part of your daily life to walk in a way in which you're always ready to listen to God. Because he is going to give you the powers no longer to be angry and no longer to walk in the lust of the flesh, but to live a life that truly gratifies and glorifies God. I think it's in one more verse. I'm going to find it real quick. Anyways, it goes back to that idea of walk in a manner worthy of your calling. God has called you to be his son, and he's asking you to walk a certain way. And that's how the world's going to know that you're not of it, but different. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's nourishment to our souls. Lord, I pray right now for all of my friends, all my brothers and sisters right now, that you will um, challenge their heart when it comes to anger, whether it comes out in physical action or in their attitude or the words they speak, but that they will speak life, that they will speak blessings and not cursings, the Lord, that they will have patience, that they will walk in a spirit of tenderness and gentleness and love. Lord, that they will grow in patience with one another. Lord, I know that there, each of us has someone that just loves to push our button and we just so would rather <clears throat> but you call us to walk a different way. Lord, I pray and I know that there are some in this room who have um, relationships that have been estranged because of anger and they know that they need reconciliation. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you give them the courage that they can walk by faith and know that through your spirit you will reconcile them to uh, their brother and sister who, who has done them wrong or maybe who they've wronged. Lord, give them the opportunity, give them the words, and, and Lord, let there be peace in their hearts because of it. And Lord, I just pray for each of us as we go out into this world, Lord, as it tries to pull us away from you and into the darkness, I pray in the name of Jesus, the armor of light over each of us, that you protect us on all sides, that we are battle ready. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus who saved me from my sins.
We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.